Welcome to the latest episode of the Portrait Personas podcast. Happy 10th episode, Emily. Happy 10th, y'all. There we go. That's how you know it's a podcast. We had 10 episodes. And I'm excited about this because to celebrate our 10th episode, I think this one may involve head and neck strain. I'm excited to hear this story. This one was an interesting costume prep for sure. I am so excited. So what portrait did you recreate for this edition? So today we are talking about the portrait of Elizabeth Lady Forbes made in circa 1776 by Sir Joshua Reynolds, which is now in a private collection. Fantastic. So let's uh, talk about the build. I mean, when you look at this picture, actually the outfit is got a real nice shade of pink, but I think the hair steals the show. What, what was it like building this thing? This required very big hair and... If you look at the original, the hair I created isn't even big enough, but the wig I use is not super voluminous. So it only had so much hair to work with. And to that end, I had to figure out a way to do this kind of 18th century updo, well, as close as possible as I could recreate within my own skill set. But there wasn't enough hair in the wig to create that volume. So I had to kind of add something under the hair to keep it propped up. And honestly, I don't know how I landed on this idea. But what I did was use a bathing suit top. And most women's bathing suit tops have padding in the bust area. And so that gives it a natural like round shape. And so I had a bathing suit top that had that round shape that I was needing to get that kind of, we might say a beehive hairstyle from the 60s, but obviously that's not quite correct. But to get that large bouffant poofy hair, I kind of rolled up the bathing suit top. And the one I used was this like very bright yellow. So of course I had to hide that. The wig is black. It was stuck out like a sore thumb. So I wrapped a black cami around the bathing suit top to kind of make this like mound that I then put under the hair and kind of pulled the hair around that to create this tower of hair, for lack of a better description. And then in the back, I just kind of did a basic updo. In the original painting, she has some curls towards her neck. So I tried to do some pieces that looked similar to that. Even with all of that, it's not quite as voluminous, not nearly as voluminous as in the original painting, but I was still able to build up the hair quite a bit, which I was pleased with given the state of the wig originally. And it was actually really heavy. That was one of my challenges I had to overcome. It looks like there also is, is there like a headband or any kind of jewelry? There's like sparkles. Yes, so in the painting, she has ribbon, she has these kind of gold beads and I think feathers. I did not use feathers and I did not have red ribbon at this point. I have red ribbon now, but I used what I had in my apartment and it actually cracked out. Fortunately, this was before I realized you could do a multi-photo post with like the larger three by four ratio cropping in Instagram. So I had the one-to-one ratio, which cropped out the top of the adornments, which was goldish brown beaded necklace I had and a piece of red tissue paper to kind of emulate that red color in the original So she has all sorts of adornments in her hair. I just went with the beads and the piece of tissue paper, which isn't even visible now. 
So that completed the hair look. And then for the clothing, she has kind of a ivory dress with gold trim and then is wearing a very voluminous pink shawl. It is visible on both shoulders, but I guess it would have been pink on the outside and ivory on the inside of her shawl. So what I did is just draped the pink on one shoulder to get that, like the color palette correct. I used a yellow sweater underneath an ivory sweater to emulate the gold trim. Didn't have anything gold to do that with at the time. So I have my sweaters layered and then a pink pashmina draped over one shoulder to get that color. And I just used my gray background of my apartment. The larger painting doesn't have too much going on in the background. It's funny, portraits at the time sometimes would randomly have a peak of nature behind it. So in the uncropped version of this portrait, you can see it looks like she's just against a stone wall, but then randomly there's a landscape that abruptly starts. You can kind of get a peek of this sliver of blue off to the right. So in the original, abruptly, there's blue sky and trees and a field, but I just went with the gray background of my apartment. We've talked in the past about some of the... Uh the light kind of washes out your makeup ideas. Is that actually a ton of blush that's just not showing up? Yes, absolutely. So I did look carefully at her face and I think she has kind of reddish lips and almost like, I don't even know. It looks like she was sampling the punch as they would have said, almost like mottled red cheeks. So I did put a lot of blush on to try and get those rosy cheeks, but it just didn't translate. I, I did put tons of blush on, at least the lips were redder, but the the cheeks just, it didn't really show up as much as I would have liked. So I learned now that I really, really have to pack it on if I want to get a closer look to the original. Luckily with this one, like I've said, direct eye contact is my friend. I didn't have to worry about figuring out where to look. And it was pretty easy to emulate that kind of serene expression she has, kind of a subtle smile playing on her lips. So the expression match was fairly easy, despite the hair color not being quite right. And this is pre-tripod, right? So you probably, this is probably very similar to last week where it was a balancing nightmare to take the photo and not have that wig fall off your head like the veil. I posted a video in the B-roll for this. The wig, it was very heavy. And if I moved too much, the wig totally just slumped over. I had to be very careful because it would just totally slump over. So I had to be careful holding my arm out and... Luckily, you know, she didn't have any head tilts or anything. She had like a slight, a slight tilt, but nothing drastic enough that would have caused the hair to make a run for it. But, you know, even just adjusting as I was sitting, that could have caused the hair to kind of avalanche down my face. So that that took some getting used to. And this is definitely a neat one for the behind the scenes. People should definitely check out the Instagram post because you have nine behind the scenes photos in this one. They're all very different. Image seven, and where you have the head tilt with the, looks like you're having fun taking that photo. That's where you could see the ribbon and the jewelry and the hair. And this is your first video, I think. This is my little video because um, <laughs> it, it, the wig was just so 
heavy with the hidden bathing suit. I wanted to show what it looked like when it wobbled. <laughs> so what drew you to this one? I don't see a, a location listed for where the portrait is. So do you like this painting? Did you want the challenge of the hair? I rotate through the hair colors. I still do that. Now it's kind of like light to dark-ish. For example, this week I was on my light blonde wig and then I'll do my natural hair. Then I'll do red or auburn followed by brown or black and then one of my crazy color wigs. So still rotating to an extent. So I found this and I often find ones just by Googling brunettes in art history or blondes in art history or redheads in art history. And so I found this portrait on Pinterest randomly and it's, it doesn't have a location because it's in a private collection. So it's not on view anywhere. It was up for auction almost 10 years ago. I found the auction records at Christie's. It was a portrait that was in the family line and then it sold for, I don't know, 200,000 pounds or something. I'm not exactly sure what that would be in dollars. It was never on view publicly. And according to Christie's records, it hadn't been seen in public. So at the time of the auction in 2012, it hadn't been seen publicly since like 1859. So this wouldn't be a very well-known painting. So it's not in a museum, has never been in a museum. It was always passed down from the original person who commissioned this painting and then sold eventually. This is Elizabeth Lady Forbes. It was commissioned by her husband, Sir William Forbes, who was an influential Scottish banker. So he commissioned portraits of himself and his wife around 1775. That is what we know about where it originated. So it would have just been in the Forbes family and passed down through the years until it was sold at Christie's. So do we know anything about Sir Joshua Reynolds or Joshua Reynolds? I like how you said his name just then because connection to the pre-Raphaelites of a few episodes ago. He is one of those well-known figures in art history, if you study art history, very influential, but also love-hate by artists at the time. The pre-Raphaelites would have been about 100 years after his time, but I think we'll do a brief little refresher. So Joshua Reynolds Life dates 1723 to 1792, and eventually he's knighted, so now he's known in history as Sir Joshua Reynolds. He was one of the leading portraitists of the 18th century. He was English, and he grew up in Devonshire. His father was a reverend and schoolmaster, and so he received like comprehensive education, which wasn't always the norm for people who went on to become artists. So he was apprenticed as artists were, and then studied in Rome for a couple years. And that's where he became very interested and not obsessed, but like he loved the old masters. So that would have been Renaissance artists, Dutch artists like Rubens, Rembrandt. So if you go into any major art museum, the names people know. So he studied the old masters, he lived in Italy, and that influenced his art making for the rest of his life. Also, side note, he got a very bad cold while he was in Italy, and that left him partially deaf. So he had an ear trumpet he carried with him often, and so he's often depicted with an ear trumpet in any paintings of himself. So 
Sir Joshua and his ear trumpet. When he came back to London after Rome, he set up a studio and quickly established himself as kind of one of the most sought after portrait painters of the time. He was very well connected. So that helped him get more commissions. And he was kind of instrumental in organizing a group of artists and architects who signed a petition to found the Royal Academy of Arts. And that would have an annual exhibition of living artists work and establish a free art school. So whenever you hear the Royal Academy or the Academy, that is what we mean in art history. So he, along with a group of 34 artists and architects, signed this petition to found the Royal Academy, was approved by King George III, and then Reynolds was unanimously elected the first president. Although he was not a favorite of the king, and the only time he ever painted the king's portrait was for a painting that was hung in the Royal Academy's home base in Somerset House. Even without the king's favor, he was still very popular amongst aristocrats. And he also did a series of lectures at the Royal Academy schools on his kind of beliefs on painting and art, that it should look like classical and Renaissance art. They should idealize nature. They shouldn't copy it. They should just make everything be beautiful and grand. His ideal form of art was what we would call history painting. So those kind of big epic historic scenes, that was his ideal. Even though he rarely got to paint them because he was in so high demand as a portraitist. So that brings me to the Pre-Raphaelites. We might remember how he said they went against what the Royal Academy said. So even though this was 100 years earlier, the ideals would have persisted. So he died in 1792 and I don't know, maybe like 50 to 60 years later would be when Rossetti's on the scene. So that's, that's not too long. Like if you think about what's happening in art in the 1960s to now, all of that still kind of influences what goes on. So the Pre-Raphaelites were not a fan of the Royal Academy's aesthetics or beliefs, and they weren't a fan of Joshua Reynolds. Some artists thought he relied too much on classical art or Renaissance ideals for inspiration. The Pre-Raphaelites allegedly referred to him as Sir Slashua, but despite all that, he's one of the most well-known names in the canon of art history. He painted many, many portraits. And although I, I did not know of this portrait before, I can definitely appreciate the beauty and the detail, even if it's not the most exciting portrait I've ever seen. I say kudos to Sir Slashua for his artistic prowess. When he painted this, it would have been kind of in his like heyday of portrait painting. It kind of fits in with the time of his success. I read that this would have been kind of a more informal portrait, which it's, it's interesting to me. I guess formality is so relative when you see the full version and she has her voluminous pink shawl and the faux landscape behind her. That just seems very formal to me, but often portraits that were full length would have been considered more formal. So it's like a three quarter portrait just four so up. She's leaning on this fake ledge or whatever. So I can see 
why some scholars would say it looks a little more informal and intimate, kind of a relaxed moment. It is kind of crazy because I, I was kind of looking at a couple of his paintings and because he did so much portraiture, I'm so used to, if you're an artist before a certain period of time, like all of your art is religious, but he seems to just be cranking out a whole bunch of fancy portraits. There are tons of portraits. I'm sure there are portraits in, I'm not sure what would be on view locally, but I think if portraits interest you, they're just Google his name and it's just, it really, he was so prolific with portraits and some of them are more interesting than others. There's this one in the National Gallery's collection called Lady Cornwall. Her outfit's just fantastic. That's something to me that's the most interesting aspect of portraiture, the fashion and the fashion choices. She's got a lot going on. That's definitely one I would not be able to recreate, but I think it's interesting to see how hair and fashion change over time. I do have to say, I love his uh, infant Hercules. I've just discovered that painting and that is so metal. <laughs> what is going on? He's killing the snakes. You can, you can kind of see yeah, him. He has no eyes or he has like, I don't care. I, I, I love this painting. There's something about it. <laughs> this looks like his, like, his, like, I have to paint something that's not like anything else I painted. So this would be history painting. This was the genre that he loved. This to him was the ultimate genre, like a historical setting with a legend or a real moment in time. So that's what he wanted to do instead of just fancy people, never-ending parade of fancy folk. That the, the never-ending parade pays the bills, I guess. So hey, that's what made him a sir. <laughs> yeah, that's what made him a sir. Yes. Oh, that's too much fun. Well, are you ready to get stumped? I am. I have to say before we begin, I believe this is the most unfair stump I have conceived. Oh boy. It's I I already I'm accepting likely defeat is you beat me last time and i'm not letting that happen again <laughs> all right i better get the, i'm getting the bird ready as you said earlier joshua reynolds died february 23rd 1792 1792 is also the year that the coinage act was passed in the u.s which established our money what? i know this is turning into like a batman it's riddle going ah uh, it's going somewhere it's going somewhere. What month in 1792 was the coinage act passed that established the U.S. Mint? Wow. I'm giving you a 1 in 12, so this is super unfair, but you could also maybe guess. Hmm. July? No, it is April 2nd is when we uh, we invented our money. The bird will not fly. He will not fly. Poor Joshua Reynolds didn't live to see the U.S. Mint happen. Poor Sloshua. Sloshua didn't make it to see the mint. Poor Slosh. <laughs> Sir Slosh did not make it. But, you know, at the time, I don't know if the English would have been super thrilled for American achievement. They're not way into the ideas of Alexander Hamilton coming to flourish. Yeah, because this is like <laughs> post- revolutionary times uh well i thought that was the weirdest way that i could stump that, you. I'm really glad. i don't even know that is the most i was not expecting that but i have some trivia now that yeah. april 2nd 1792 
Coinajacked. The Coinajacked. That's that's when we established our money. <laughs> well, now that we've we've dipped into coin history, uh, what kind of teaser do you want to have for the next post we're doing? Ooh, okay. So this is by one of my favorite artists. His paintings are just so beautiful with their treatment of fabric, and I it just speaks to my love of fashion so deeply. And this one was the first time I ordered ribbon to create my wardrobe. And I had to kind of assemble a fake looking dress bodice from a couple different pieces of clothing and some ribbon. And so this one was another experiment with I wouldn't say fabrication or costume design, but kind of a little bit of both. Trying to figure out how to make the illusion of like a 19th century dress and also some pretty elaborate wig styling as well. There we go. We got some good building happening next time. I'm excited to find out about it on our uh, next episode of the Portrait Personas podcast. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And we want to give credit to the theme song written by Dad. Thanks, Dad. 